Hey, this is AJ and Jake once again with the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be here this week. We've got an amazing guest, Justin Ray from Cinch. He talks about his journey to get to Cinch, which includes seven or eight different companies before Cinch and a couple of exits, one even in college. He's got some great advice for our listeners, and we're super excited to hear more about his story and what he's doing to help companies grow. So here we go. Welcome, Justin. All right, so excited to be here one more week here at the end of November near Thanksgiving with Justin Ray with Cinch. Jake and I are super excited to sit down and understand more of your story. Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking the time. So, um, Justin, we have all sorts of entrepreneurs on the show and uh, from, I mean, in all industries, right? Tell us kind of where you, we want to get into Cinch in a little bit, right? And what you're doing with Cinch, but tell us where you started as an entrepreneur, kind of that first step in the journey. And if we were really going far back, I'm sure you probably have a lot of entrepreneurs that bring up the like childhood efforts, right? But uh, we started in all different you know, places. Yeah, yeah when um, you know, growing up, my mom's Irish and uh, has some family uh, family over there, and uh, we wanted to go to Ireland when I was in fourth grade. Didn't necessarily have the uh, the financial means to to put at least my parents put it that way, right? So uh, they said I needed to earn some money to help uh, help get over there. So. I don't know uh, if you guys remember back in the day, I got Boy's Life and got the magazine on the back of it. There's all these things like oh, show yeah. all these pictures you could like of prizes you could earn, sell this many items and get this prize, right? But you could also sell that many items and get $2, that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So I uh, that was where it really started was uh, I started knocking on doors and selling stuff to uh, to pay for a little, you know, whatever I wanted to, to get help me get over to Ireland and, and with the family on that. And then that turned into like I talked to enough people in my neighbors. I started realizing if I mowed their lawns for twenty bucks a piece, I could uh, make more money. And then I got friends into that. And um, in middle and high school, I had a little lawn uh, lawn mowing deal that made me some good money. And and uh, that's really really where it all started. But uh, the first legitimate business that had a, uh, a business registration was um, in college. I started a little. Um, voice activation home automation tool and I was in a computer engineering and basically we, we made it so that mics would not be able to recognize the audio that was being created on the same computer so if you had a computer that was playing a song and a microphone connected to the same computer the microphone wouldn't pick up any of that song right and so it made it so everybody's familiar with Alexa today but um, but you could um, basically be blaring whatever music back in that day I was way into Coldplay and I play uh, Blair Coldplay and uh, but I could whisper to tell the computer to to go do something turn on the lights turn off the lights pause the music whatever it was and, and so it was my first uh, first legitimate uh, business and I sold that while I was in college and and uh, felt the the dopamine hit of uh, growing a business and selling it so was that a, was that a good exit? Tell us about that. Um, I mean, it wasn't. I, I think if I uh, if I'd had the knowledge I had now, I wouldn't necessarily. I, uh, I probably would have had some IP that I would have sold. Um, I definitely did not do as well as that should have done. Um, I look back on that one, and there should have been many more hundreds of thousands of dollars on that than uh, <laughs> yeah. it came from that. But um, I'm gonna say that yeah. was the precursor of Alexa and Surrey, and yeah, that's really big. Yep. IP right now, really big technology. Yeah, it was, uh, but that, that was what I was doing as my my uh, senior project to try to get out. But I, I thought it was a hot rod. You know, I uh, here I was, kid on campus. I sold a sold a business, so I decided I was going to change out of computer engineering into marketing, and that's uh, 
just to get done with school as fast as I could. And, and uh, that's what I did. So that kind of foray into more of the, the entrepreneurial world, I ended up spending more of my time in. Did you know cool. like early on that that's the direction you wanted to go? Yeah, I think when I was, yeah, when I was younger and definitely in school, um, early on, I wanted to either be two things. I wanted to be, uh, start my own businesses in like the engineering world, or I wanted to be an astronaut, right? Like who didn't when, you know, space shuttles were going up back in the day, but, uh, that was my, my two desires. You grew up in Florida? I did. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you were over there where all that stuff was going yeah. on anyways. Yeah. We'd hear the sonic boom, see the space shuttles come in. You could see the launch, the night launches from my house because you couldn't see the day ones, but the night ones, you could see the fireball going up and it's oh, pretty that's cool. That's so cool. That is cool. How far yeah. away were you from that? It's about maybe hour and a half, two hours. Okay. So, yeah. So you switched from uh, computer engineering yep. to marketing. Yep. I Just love how you use marketing as the cop out. Like, <laughs> That's what I defaulted AJ's back AJ's not to. offended. He's not marketing. <laughs> no marketers are offended. They're listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I got to do it, right? You got to get out of school. Yeah. Well, no, that, uh, my mom begged me to stay in school, honestly. She's like, just get a degree. And, uh, you know, we were talking before the show a little bit about uh, the NBC program, right? And I'm actually really glad I did because I wouldn't have been able to get into that if it wasn't for having that undergrad, right? So there's definitely glad for that. But uh, the... The thing that really interesting with Cinch and where, where I'm at now is in that marketing class or in the marketing degree, one of the classes I had was a consumer behavior class. And it was super intriguing to me to think about how, um, and this was you know still relatively, this was 2002, back, uh, yeah, 2000, well, that, was, that would have been like 2005, right? But um, we were still talking about, you know, hey, if this website is green or like the... Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the triangle on the website, the top left corner, and you put this here, whatever, like just little things like that and how consumers behaved on the internet and how colors changed behavior. It was really intriguing to me. And uh, from like this engineering mindset of like, how, how can I, you know, program somebody or program something to get somebody to do what I want to, to the reaction I want, right? And ultimately, that's that's been an underlying aspect in other businesses. And as I've con done consulting, is like looking at what, um, how do we help this business get to this point? And it's looking at that data, and in that data, you can see the behaviors of of consumers, customers. So, from your voice activated business, what was that one called? Uh, it was called Sunray Sunray System. You had Sunray right. a few times, right? I did. Yeah. Okay, so what uh, what's next? What led you to the next project? Um, through the Sunray, the Sunray stuff was actually inspired by uh, uh, Richard Branson and the Virgin brand being everywhere. So I was like, I'll just be Sunray. The Sunray, you know, try to build up this uh, this big brand like he did. And uh, and what's next um, outside of in my journey? Is that yeah, where yeah, we're going? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So. So yeah, after that, um, I actually got a job. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, and I was at the University of Florida and I ended up getting a job out here in Utah. Um, never expected to really move back here, move here and, and, uh, and live here. And so, um, but did, and that job, I just realized after a few months that I was not meant for really <laughs> working, working for other people. So what was it? What was your job? Um, I was doing marketing. I was a marketing manager for a software company okay. and, um, and it, it was fine and no, no necessarily complaints. There was a lot more pool playing and golf than I would say work that went on there, but, uh, a pool, a billiards, whatever. But, uh, 
it was it was a good job. I enjoyed it, but um, I just wanted to get out and, and just really drive something more. And I mean, I had I had cash from from previous uh, previous sale and and good work. Your exit, another, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it um, it set me up in a spot where I decided I was going to go and I was going to try to do streaming uh, video, right? So I don't know if you guys or do you guys remember Groove Shark? Mm, I it don't was, think so. It was a um, it was like Napster. It was a, a file sharing peer to peer network that was legal that paid artists for music. And um, Sam Tarantino founded that. He was out of the University of Florida, and um, and we were in an entrepreneurship class together. And it kind of inspired me on like, hey, well, why don't we do the same type thing with with movies, right? So I um, did that I, one go big, by the way. So that yeah, Groove Groove Shark went really. Um, I was it was. Say. I mean, I, I would have to go look up where it is. I know that they ended up selling it, but it, it did pretty, Sounds familiar, pretty but well. But you knew him directly then. Yeah. Personally. Yep. So oh, he, was, cool. he was in our, connection. our class. So yeah. I didn't know him like super well, but we, we had a, a couple classes together and you know, you'd say hi and chat a little bit about, uh, about our projects and what we, what we were doing there. But um, then, uh, so yeah, the goal was to try to set that up. Like how could I, how could I make streaming movies? And, and again, this was pre Hulu, pre Netflix streaming, um, and we we're trying to figure out how to um, make it so you could securely stream a movie on a peer-to-peer -peer network and have um, digital rights management on top of that and, and go that route. And so, so I tried to raise money for that. I tried to um, I, back. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the Wayne Brown Institute. It was uh, in Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, not well, but okay. Yeah, it, ring, it rings a bell. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, being brand new in uh, Salt Lake, I didn't know, have too many connections, but that's where I was trying to, trying to build a lot of connections and uh, locally. And um, so I was trying to raise money um, to put that together. I'd never raised money before at that point and didn't know what I was doing. And there was a lot of places I, I, I fell. And uh, ultimately we, we had some term sheets, but we never put anything together. But we did have uh, a working prototype with that. I had some, uh, some good partners and co-founders in that. And it was pretty awesome. You know, we, uh, we had a good time building and putting it together. But uh, a couple couple years later, I was really bummed I didn't push a lot harder on that <laughs> one. I was going to say, I'm seeing a trend here, like, yeah. you know, pre-Netflix and then pre-Surrey. You've done <laughs> yeah. some really cool yeah. technologies in your in your past. It was, so it was pretty fun. But we, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, that went, went uh, belly up, and I spent a lot of money on it. And then uh, switched into... Um, using the the funds I had left there to build an ad agency. This is where I really got more into marketing, a whole lot more, and had a lot of fun there um, selling ads at, at um, college bowl games and uh, NASCAR, um, PGA, and different events like that, uh, sporting events, and helping to get placement there. Um, and then that basically tanked in 2008-9, right, in 2009, and... Uh, that was that was my first like real like I spent a lot of money to try to keep it alive through this downturn, and uh, realizing like you know what there's a time when you just gotta you gotta let go, and that's uh, that was a tough tough moment, a real big learning moment. So now you've had the true entrepreneur experience where you've had a a failure to kind of learn from. Yeah. Is that right. Yeah. Yeah, and then that uh, after leaving that, there was Sunray Sandals, another Sunray company. Uh, Sunray ads went down. Sunray Sandals came up, and 
Um, we, so you've really like brought I, in the last name I, Ray into I, a lot I of really just brought it everywhere. <laughs> it was, it was shameless. It really was. <laughs> Spelled the same way, but, R-A-E? Or? Yep. Yeah. So it was S-U-N-R-A-E and then okay. just add a tagline onto it, right? I just saw it. I was like, this guy's a serial entrepreneur <laughs> for sure. He's got like 10 different companies that say Sunray on. Yeah. At least a branding expert, it. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sunray Sandals was, that was, do you guys remember the social entrepreneurship time? Like that maybe mm-hmm. still around, but yeah, yeah. there's like this phase when it was mm-hmm. like the, the big thing. Or right? the Tom's, right? The shoes. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I actually was even like, Hey, can I like fall on some of this with, uh, with the way Tom's was going with it? And we, uh, we tried to tried to do some of that, but this, we, we were in a different market and kind of a different way. Um, but we basically were manufacturing a family in uh, the Philippines that I, I'd actually met on Facebook. Facebook had uh, um, made these sandals, and they were looking for ways to sell it. And I was like, "Well, we can sell these in boutiques and in, in the U.S. boutique uh, shops for you know 100, 200 bucks, I'm sure, right?" And that's exactly what we were able to do. It was also at the high or the beginning of that like green, you know, eco-friendly phase, and. Uh, so we were able to say handmade, all natural, organic, you know, sandals, right? And uh, handmade, and just sell these, uh, sell these in boutiques. And I will never get back into retail like that. <laughs> it's so How come? hard. The uh, styles and sizing and like inventory, like just being able to stay on top of that. Like you've got some really intelligent people that are able to to handle some of that, those uh, those aspects. So that that left me with. Uh, with a lot of room to win bets while I was single and dating, uh, I had more shoes than the women I was uh, women's shoes than the women I was dating at the time, and and it was uh, <laughs> always always a fun one. But That's uh, funny. I did get stuck with several hundred pairs of of uh, women's sandals. So well, and you can imagine with the supply chain issues they're having right now. I mean, how hard would that business be with all oh, that yeah. added complexity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. the logistic of having those shoes made in the Philippines. And then, you know, because you've got, you yeah. can't, it's not like you can turn something the next day, like your lead time's really far out for something that's handmade all the way across the country yeah. or the world, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm really interested. So you've had a couple of these experiences. Some of them have gone really well. Some of them haven't gone as well. But with the lesson that you learned with the ad agency specifically, when you said uh, that you learned the lesson of like kind of when to pull the plug, you know, entrepreneurs are facing an uphill battle, you know, from day one. Right. So can you explain the lesson that you learned and how to know when you should like the grit that, that gets you into entrepreneurship in the beginning and balancing that with, it's probably time to pivot or it's time to like pull the plug. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that it can be really different based on on what what business you're in or or your financial background or where you're at. And I think that that's really the key is just is, is the financial aspect is does it financially make sense, right? I mean, if you're if you're an entrepreneur who has limited resources and you're really trying to get off the ground, right? Do you does this market really have the potential to to bring to fruition the value that you need to get out of it? for you and your career, right? I think that in, in career being entrepreneurship, right? Not necessarily, it doesn't mean it needs to be a career in a business, but um, I think that if you can identify, you know, the, the runway that we have with this is going to be able to get us to a point where we can be profitable or we can, we can get to a point where we can 
raise the money that we need for the next round, right? And and that's what you need to be able to validate. And as you're moving along, each step of the way needs to be continually continually validating that. And I think when you start to have subsequential, excuse me, um, months that you're realizing that you're not moving closer to that and the validation starting to slip, then it's time to either start to pivot or reassess the, the direction that you need to be going. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I meet with people all the time at the the bank, um, you know, because my role at the bank is for early stage entrepreneurship, right? So like when there's a company that's just starting or they don't have all their financials, they don't have two years of tax returns, yeah. they end up in my department. So I'm working with a lot of those companies that are in those early stages. And it's so fascinating to me to see how many of them are just that like creative genius that has this idea that they're going to change the world, but doesn't know their numbers at all. Yeah. And it's like, they need somebody that can look at it from that approach, that analytical approach where it's like, Hey, we either have to change our pricing or our model or something because the numbers are not going to work with our plan right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good lesson. I think that's, that's really valuable. And it's hard too, because entrepreneurs, founders, they, They've been blood, sweat, and tears working hard on a product or service or technology. And then to say, you know what? The numbers just are not producing results. You know, we got to pull the plug. That's yeah, the moment yeah. of like serious introspection, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. That's that's where I think, you know, again, if I bring that MBC, the Master's of Business Creation at the University of Utah back into it, right, is uh, there's a lot of value that's there. And for me, especially, like, I, I did have that understanding. I feel like I, I didn't. I didn't lack a lot of the, hey, you know, the financial modeling, the data with the financial. Um, those tend to be talents of mine or, or things that I even really enjoy doing. But um, but I think for a lot of people, being able to have some education in that, whether um, whether that's your undergrad or having an opportunity to go, you know, go use Udemy courses or whatever it might be to to fill in the gaps where you might have that creativeness and you know your you know the the industry that you're in you know your product and you know how to maybe how to sell it how to talk to people maybe some of the marketing aspects of that but how do you handle the the financials of that how do you handle you know the unit economics of of growing um, growing your product and being able to scale it uh, whether um, wherever you need to you need to find a, a way that you can start to learn that information very cool yeah, the the so for the listeners that don't know, the NBC program's at the University of Utah, uh, yeah. and it's the Masters of Business Creation. Yeah, it's a nine month program, and we'll we're gonna have uh, Paul Brown on in a couple weeks oh, awesome. uh, to talk about it. But but really quickly, do you want to give? the listeners an idea of what the program is and kind of what your experience was. Cause you take your business through an, it's essentially like a business accelerator, but you get a master's degree at the yeah. same time. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, as you said, it's a nine month program. Um, you have to have your own business to get into the program. You have to be a founder or co-founder in the, in the um, company that you're working with and um, bring the program in and essentially think of doing an MBA, but instead of doing everything, like in a, in a traditional MBA, you wanna be able to use all the information you had maybe in the next 10 years in your career, right? In an executive MBA, you're gonna probably wanna use those in the next you know, two to five years, right? But in the MBC program, you are applying the MBA information right there, right then, and so you, 
you're building financial models for your business. You're doing the unit economics for your business. You're putting together um, marketing, you know, positioning statements and and marketing campaigns for your business. You're you're building dilution models to understand, hey, if I go raise money, um, this is how it's going to dilute and and help me understand ownership. Um, and those are all very specific to your own uh, own business. Um, even things like uh, build build versus buy and understanding, you know, is this something I outsource or I bring in house? Um, those are all things that you have the opportunity to really think about from your own business perspective. And um, and some of those things, sure, they, as a company size, I wasn't necessarily. It's like, like this is absolutely vital right now. But as as we've grown as a company, I've constantly turned back to those things that I, I built or I worked on there. Um, and in the end, it's just it's a it's it's a great networking opportunity with your cohorts as well and the the other um, other cohorts that have, have gone on before. Cool. So shout out to NBC. Yeah, yeah. They'll I'm pay excited to learn more. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So then, um, going back to your journey, so when does Cinch come into play, and then what does Cinch do, just so our listeners understand? Yeah. So there's basically there's a couple of little nuanced businesses in between. Um, where we were. More Sunrace. More Sunrace, exactly. A little accounting company. You said there's 10, 12? No, there there's not that many. Not I that might many. exaggerate How a little. Yeah. No. There? So there were there were six companies before Cinch. So Cinch okay. is the seventh. But uh, okay. yeah, none, nothing uh, nothing too crazy until the, the sixth business was, um, I worked with a, an ad agency to put together some data science for Jiffy Loops and helping to analyze uh, consumer behavior there. Um, put together and built a, a program for them. And that really helped position and helped me understand the opportunities that, that were out there. Um, in that endeavor, there, was, um, there wasn't there was necessarily an opportunity to do anything outside of, of Jiffy Lube. And so um, I left, exited, and came and started Cinch. So I um, we... We technically started building like a loyalty program and being we we actually bought I don't know locally a lot of people might know favorite eats was a company that we we purchased and um, and refactored the software with that and we're able to run a lot of uh, a loyalty program through that and then and so my co-founder Jared Rich and I um, basically had the idea of what cinch is today but we were like, hey, let's get some data. Let's start analyzing the data, looking at what we can in the consumer behavior, and um, proving out, you know, some of these these ideas. And so, uh, so that's what we did. So we bought this loyalty program, and we started running that. We re- re- refactored the software, and um, we're able to identify that, yeah, this is this is a good place to start. But we we needed to find a technical CTO to really be able to build and and create our vision. So. Um, in comes Angel, Angel List, if you guys are familiar sure. with that. And yeah. um, I actually just got an email today. They rebranded as something else, so I can't give them a plug for their new new branding. But uh, but we uh, we posted on there and um, went uh, went to a lot of lunches with a lot of technical uh, developers and potential CTOs. And uh, after quite a while, um, ended up meeting Chris London, who came in as our technical co-founder and. He, I, I don't want to say this, that it'll be too public because uh, everybody will probably try to headhunt him, but he's probably one of the best, if not the best developer in the, in the, in the state. And, uh, <laughs> and he's off and the market. So he's off the market. 100% title. Totally <laughs> off the market, right? <laughs> so uh, Chris, I'll get you that beamer right if now. you need to. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, we met Chris in... It was uh, 2018 in the the fall of 2018, and 
got started pretty quick with him and it, it was incredible working with him. He, uh, he's able to have like a very good empathy and recognizing what needs to be built versus just like building exactly what's being said. Right. And talking through and working through what's built. And so, um, so we were able to within six months to have a full working prototype. And, and I know you've seen our product. It's, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, a, um, you know, just a, click and point here on a few things, right? It's a full drag and drop, um, data processing, like it can analyze and, uh, it's powerful and automate, uh, data processes and continues to evolve too. Yep. Love yep. That. And so, uh, so yeah, April, 2019, we had, a uh, our MVP out and we had our first customer and, and essentially what cinch does is it, it, um, ingests as much consumer, be, uh, consumer data as we can, right? So the transaction data, who the customer is enriching that data, age, income, education level, home ownership, number of kids, et cetera, like bringing in all of that data. Um, and then we, uh, the second layer, we run data science and predictive models on top of that. Um, as we grow, the goal is to really build a, a rich AI in that layer, right? And then we're able to take the information that's generated from the data and the data science, and we put it into a marketing automation or really an automation tool. Um, most often that's used for marketing, but it can really be used for any communication or data updates. And most, most of the time the, um, well, I'm sorry to wrap up the story on that. The data then is generated by the marketing automation tool is then able to be pushed back into that data science layer and give more information and you just create an infinite loop over top of um, looking at the consumer behavior and um, as as most people know a good ai needs iterations and the more iterations of data you have the more accurate your predictive models are going to be and so we've built the foundation of that to be able to uh, of cinch to be able to grow into that that space and and go from there so fantastic explanation. Maybe maybe give the those listeners the kind of a use case on how this helps a company. Like for example, maybe Jiffy Lube. Yeah. How would this yep. help them specifically? Yeah. So yeah, great. Jiffy Lube's a, a great. Um, we've got a lot of franchisees of Jiffy Lube that work with us, and and one of the um, great examples of that would be if you're due for an oil change, right? Is predicting how many miles you're doing, you're driving in a day, being able to then more accurately send uh, email, text, or direct mail to a customer when they're due for that service. And and then when they get that service, not just saying, hey, you're due, but being able to identify the vehicle that's due, maybe identifying the oil type that the vehicle needs, any additional services, the um, changing the pricing based on pricing sensitivity with the customer. Um, and these can, can all be things that really add a lot of value. Um, and that so, can be expanded to any industry, essentially. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to ask. So go across industries, but like if you had to pick an ideal customer, is it a small business? Is it a big business? Is it a franchise? Like what type of business would be your ideal customer? Yeah, right now our ideal customer would really be any B2B business um, that, or excuse me, B2C business and um, has repeatable customers, right, is, is the broad aspect of what we focus on or broad aspect. And when we focus on, the automotive vertical, right? So um, your automotive repair shops, tire shops, um, quick lubes. Uh, we do have uh, pest control and home uh, home services. So pest control, carpet cleaning, uh, things along those lines. Um, but as we grow as a company, we're we think that we can cover a good breadth of uh, of businesses. I think one thing too to actually even maybe highlight is one of our missions here is to close the data gap, 
right? So as businesses get bigger and bigger, there becomes a bigger data gap between what can what, what can McDonald's do? I mean, everybody's very familiar, I think, with the McDonald's app and, and all of the things that McDonald's is able to do with their data and they do with it and the, the experimentation that they do at, ch- at checkout. And um, there's a lot of really cool things that they're able to do. But um, Jared, actually, our, our co-founder, put it one great way once. He's like, I don't want to live in a world of McDonald's, right? He might love the McGriddle, but he doesn't want to live in that world. And I think that's great, right? It's like um, if we, so we at Cinch are trying to figure out how can we make data accessible and usable to that small business and the enterprise, right? We want them both using our software. And um, and if they're both using it, then the ability for them to really target their customers and the people that truly want their product is going to, um, is, is going to really come out on that. So if we can close that data gap and, and uh, make the, the smaller businesses grow and, and compete with some of the McDonald's and we'd love to do that. Cool. That's fascinating. Uh, well, you've been through the, this entrepreneur ringer on both sides. Um, and you've talked kind of about the lessons, but has, have you had any fun stories or is there any kind of one experience that sticks out to you as like, this was a crazy thing that happened to us on the journey is there any one story that kind of pops into mind? Something that no one would believe. They're like, no way. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. Um, Probably way too many, but there, <laughs> put you on the spot like this. There's a lot. I think the, uh, you know, one, it's not, it's a little bit less of an entrepreneur aspect, but one that I still sometimes am like, no way that happened. But, um, I, I took some money off of uh, one of my exits and invested it into, um, a pandemonium bank and I uh, was trying to leverage the money to um, investing in the Forex at the time and uh, had all of my money from the bank stolen and <laughs> through Wait. the ba- from the bank manager what and uh, the irony of this was was uh, it wasn't long after that before I started getting emails from other people that had their money stolen and um and come to find like george soros had money in the bank right so this like this was a huge bank like bank uh robbery if you will <laughs> right you're dying and uh and so it's one thing i still sometimes so when people say it's something you wouldn't believe i sometimes still don't believe this happened because then like the fbi got involved the like <laughs> you're, i'm getting email or emails and and mail from uh from the Department of Justice on like, hey, this so, is where your money is. So like, hold on a second. So you, you deposited money deposited money into this bank yep. and the bank manager just never put it in the account? So or? no, it was in the account. Okay. And then I was like trading with it, right? And so I'm using it. Um, you know, in Panama, you could get uh, at the time, I believe it was like 501 leverage against sure. on your money, right? Uh-huh. So like the leverage was great, right? Yeah. And so, um, so I was just leveraging the heck out of this money because I didn't care if I lost it all, but I didn't want to just lose it all the way I did. Right. Um, so I was just trying to see how much I I could generate off of it. And, um, apparently the bank manager, I I don't know all the details. Um, I didn't necessarily care because I was a little, little like, man, this, this is rough. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, the bank manager ran off with like tons and tons of money from this. And, uh, and so I was out all the money and he is in prison now. He, uh, he was captured a few, maybe five, six years ago, put on trial and got all the notice of it. And I, and I still haven't seen a penny of that money come back, but, uh, it wow. was, it was, uh, crazy to see all these, uh, these random names coming across that were, that were in that bank that I'm like, I was a part of that. I mean, I was a 
tiny fraction of the uh, money that disappeared there. But that must have been a huge crazy. heist. I mean, that was a yeah huge thing. It was yeah. Um, that is a cool story. So that's probably probably the craziest one. Yeah, yeah but interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, what uh, I mean, you've you've gone through a lot of different things, obviously, and and have seen a lot, you know, in your career thus far, which is really cool, by the way. What what advice would you have for the listeners about how to be successful as an entrepreneur? You know, I think passion and emotional intelligence probably um, are probably two things I would advise. You know, keep the passion, keep the fire. Um, you know, even when you get to those points when you're like, I don't know if, if I can make it through this or I can do it, like um, keep trying, you know, keep keep going. And that's really where a lot of that comes. But then uh, that emotional intelligence, there's it's tough, right? We all know managing our emotions can be tough. And when you got high stress, you know, financial, you know, implications, um, doing, getting to know yourself and how you respond in situations and understanding your own emotional impact, right? Um, is something that I think is really, really important in entrepreneurship and, and sometimes overlooked, right? It's not something that gets taught in school. It's not something that, uh, people want to talk about often, right? Emotions tend to be that thing everybody wants to put in the back corner, but, um, that's not to say like we need to like be overly emotional. We just need to understand how we how we respond. Like what is our emotional response to to certain things because it it does impact our logical thinking as well as um, as the way people respond to us. Well, and our teams too has a huge huge effect on morale, you know, yeah. and, and the culture and in the office workspace and that sort of thing. We we classify that at, at RevRoad quite a bit as executive function, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's the way you respond in those moments of tense uh, interactions or crisis or success, right? Yeah. And if you can stay, you know, even keel or level-headed, those are the folks that are most valuable in the workplace because um, yeah. they go far in their careers, right? Yeah. Not necessarily how smart they are or how how strategic they are maybe, but if they can keep their cool in those tough, tough moments, those are the folks that, uh, that, that just move up the ranks quickly. Yeah. So love that advice. Yep. How how big's your team right now? So we have twenty two, twenty three people. What's uh what's next for Cinch? Um yeah, so this year we we've had a killer year. We're um well over hundred percent growth this year, year Thank over year. You. And Good uh for you. We've uh we had a great year going in like halfway through the year. Our investors did an inside round, so we took some extra cash and uh and we're now just sitting on a on a good uh, good a good runway. Looking forward to trying to really scale. Actually, our top of funnel, like we talk about marketing, like at the uh, the very top of the funnel. How can we how can we improve our incoming leads and and our conversion rates um, from the very top? We right now we're we're over a fifty percent demo to close rate. So um, or if we can get a demo, we can typically close a deal. So if we can fix. Uh, fix the number of leads that come in on the top, I think we can um, build something really incredible. So that's that's really what we've been focused on. Um, not sure if that's exactly where we're going with yeah, that. but That's helpful. Do, um, do you track any numbers with return on ad spend at all and, and what customers could expect to come to you uh, or, or get from Cinch if they were to work with you? Yeah, that, that is something that we, we do. We're trying to figure out ways to make that a lot more easily um, understandable because of the flexibility in our product. Um, the way you might use it and the way Jake might use it might be totally different. So how do we make it so that 
um, without you know getting into complexities, um, you can both see the the value and see what those numbers are. Um, even when it comes to return on ad spend, or you know, since in our software you can do text messaging, emails, direct mail, um, phone calls, push to audio, like you know podcast uh, commercials, um, Google, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it might be, right? And so. Um, having one tool that can push to all of those makes it a little more difficult to mm. um, to do that. So that's part of our part of our journey in 2023. T- tell me this, um, and this is a little bit off script, but what what's a success story uh, without using names of a client or customer that you've worked with that that would just really illustrate to the audience what you can do? Yeah, um, we had a. Um, a oil change company that I don't know how many locations they had when they started with us. Um, but they, they started out, they had, uh, let's just say they're 20. We'll, we'll kind of spoof on the story a little bit. Um, since I don't know the details, but, but they came in, they started working with us and they would just started doing emails. That was when they started, it was just email. Um, maybe a little bit of direct mail, but they, they weren't believers in direct mail. Um, and they got started, got rolling with us and, um, and we talked them into trying some direct mail. So we added some direct mail into that, but we don't believe in like just blanketing everybody with direct mail. Again, we have all of the data. Let's, let's focus on that. So we added some more in that and they started growing. They started seeing a lot more results. Their, um, their average tickets were increasing. The time between visits was decreasing. Their customer retention was, um, was starting to increase and so they started spending more money with us they started adding um adding more um, channels of communication on and um and they started growing as a company as well and then uh, then they started adding communication connecting cinch to their ad platforms so they're managing in, uh, their ad audiences in facebook and google being able to control who was seeing what ads at any given time based on the, their behaviors and and doing being able to do that in real time uh, and so over the course of, um, let's see, they, over the course, well, now they've been maybe 18 months as a customer with us and, um, they started out with, they're probably, I mean, they probably spend a thousand times more, uh, or a thousand percent more than they, they did, uh, <laughs> did when they signed up with us and, and they, they, to, to date, they, they're very happy with what um, what we're doing for them. Their right. business has grown. Their, their business has grown, yeah, considerably. Cool. So, um, yeah. where do they find you, Justin? For those that are interested, they uh, cinch.io, c i n c h.io. So, yeah, cool. Or you're on LinkedIn too, so they can or, find you. Yep, on LinkedIn. Great. Or drop by our office in Draper if you're here local and say hi. But very cool, yep. Justin. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story with us. Definitely. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll keep following up on your success and um, look forward to all the cool things you're going to do. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. And loved all the connections and relationships we've had with uh, Reverend. It's been good to meet you, Jake. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Take care. Signing out. Okay. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.